Good morning, everyone. I'd like to welcome you all to Sunday service at Ananda Village and a special welcome to our guests and visitors. I am Nayaswami Parvati. This is Mayaswami Pranaba, and our speaker today will be Sundara. So I will read from The Rays of the One Light, a weekly commentaries written by Swami Kriyananda and based on Yogananda's teachings. The law is perfected in love. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. In the Gospel of St. John, chapter 1, we read, The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace means the power to rise spiritually. Truth means the experience of divine realities, not the application in the outer world of that inner experience. Divine love is the soul's experience of oneness with God. Kindness is the human manifestation of that love. Grace is deeper than mere kindness. Wisdom is a divine experience. Justice to all is a human law, though divinely inspired. It follows as a consequence of the experience of wisdom. Truth goes deeper than mere justice. While following the law, we should strive always to trace it back to its origins in the vision of God. Therefore, Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita urges the devotee not to be satisfied with spiritual precepts alone, but to go beyond them to their direct inner experience of truth. In the 18th chapter of that great scripture, he says, Nay, but once more, take my last word, my utmost meaning have. Precious thou art to me, right well beloved. Listen, I tell thee for thy comfort this, give me thy heart, adore me, serve me, cling in faith and love and reverence to me. So shalt thou come to me, I promise true, for thou art sweet to me. And let go those rites and writ duties, fly to me alone, make me thy single refuge, I will free thy soul from all its sins, be of good cheer. Thus through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. Good morning, great souls. Thank you for coming this morning. I will read to you from Whispers from Eternity. And this book, uh, Paramahansa Yogananda said, he reads from three books. The Christian Bible, the Hindu Bhagavad Gita, and Whispers from Eternity. This is called Intoxicate Me with the Wine of Thy Love. Intoxicate me with devotion's wine. I will drink of thee until death. My earthly desires are now dead. 
and I will live in thee forever. A thrilling current runs through each cell of my body and through every opening of my love for thee. Saturated with devotion, I will enter the heaven of thy presence. Groping blindly, the urge of my devotion suddenly flings open the secret door in my soul. Oh, what bliss I feel on beholding thy light. The other day when I was here in the temple, I was kind of really tuned in more to these niches of the great world religions, and they reminded me of one of my favorite passages of Yogananda. He said, here we never ask who is of the Hindu religion, the Christian religion, the Jewish religion. He said, we take you all as you are because you love God. And that's what we're here to talk about today, is how the law is perfected in love. And this law of Moses, as the story goes, God came to Moses in a burning bush and said, free my people from slavery out of Egypt. And so Moses goes and frees the Israelites who had been enslaved for something like two to four hundred years. And then on the way to the promised land, he gives them the Ten Commandments and other lesser lesser laws, which I think there are about 600 laws. But Yogananda, he was so appropriate in his, you know, we think of these commandments, as Yogananda said, as here's this God, this judge, who's going to command us, thou shall not, or thou shall do this. And Yogananda said, it kind of sounds like a dictator telling us what to do. Why don't we think of them rather as codes of natural righteousness? And it's such a more beautiful, that the more we live in alignment with these universal truths, the more spiritually fulfilled our life will be. The more we live out of attunement with those natural laws, the more we're going to suffer. And so at that time, you know, if we think of it, the Jews were enslaved for 400 years and all of a sudden they're free. And, you know, it's like you need to know how to live, these basic guidelines on how to live. And so here were all these laws. And there was, as I said, there were about 600 of these laws from how to cleanse, how to eat, Um, spiritual, criminal. There's even this one law that if you come upon a bird nest on the ground or in the tree, you know, you can take the bird but leave the mother. And so all these different laws of just for society at that time. But as it says in the Bible, uh, Christ said, you know, the laws was given by Moses because of the hardness of your heart. And that these guidelines that were given and they weren't ready yet for the deeper truths to come out. Swamiji says that we f- must first learn to live for God before we can learn to love God. It's only when the soil that is of our hearts is more fertile that these more deeper teachings can grow. And that he's also said that outer observances must come before this mystical aspiration. But as we know, that when there's enough of people who want something, as the hardness of the hearts to, by living these laws starts to soften and we start to live more in alignment with these divine truths, what do we think? We want something more. There's got to be more than just living the law. And that's when a prayer of love went up from earth and you responded, as we say in the Festival of, the light, of light. Your chosen people are not just the Israelites, but anyone who with deep love chooses thee. And so God came, or Jesus came, 
And there's, again, there's a reason he didn't come right after Moses, because they weren't ready yet. And he came and he said, it's not just about the law, it's about the love of God. And he also brought a, a new concept of God that, you know, before it was, here's us, here's God, he's a judge. It's about eternal damnation, it's about fire and brimstone, it's about eternal damnation's a long time. You know, as our friend uh, Willie said, this is a joke he liked to tell often, he said, it was from a comedian, infinity is an awful long time, especially near the end. (laughs) (laughs) And so Jesus came to talk of of a God that is forgiving, that is compassionate, that is our loving Father. And he took that idea of us and God and, and brought it started to bring it closer. And, you know, Jesus would, was doing all kind of things during that time to make those priests upset. He'd be healing on the Sabbath, and, you know, observing the Sabbath is one of the top ten. You don't want to break that one. And so, what did he say? I did not come to break these laws or the prophets, but to fulfill them. And that ultimate fulfillment, of course, is in the love and grace that comes when we live for God. And so of all these commandments, what did he say the highest was? To love the Lord thy God with all thy mind, with all thy love, soul, and strength, and to love others as yourself. That love is above the law. Love transcends the law. There's a, the story of um, George Washington Carver. He was a black man. He was born into slavery. He was known as the plant doctor because he could find remedies for sick and diseased plants that nobody else could. And he said, if you love it enough, anything will speak to you. Right? And so there's also the story of, as we know, the great Luther Burbank, the American horticulturalist. He was friends with those of like Henry Ford and Thomas Edison. He was a very popular man here in America. He came up with something like six to eight hundred different varieties of um, fruit and vegetable species, many of which we still use today. And Yogananda dedicated his autobiography of a yogi to Luther Burbank, who he called the American Saint. And so Luther Burbank said that he was able to, by sending a cactus loving thoughts, he was able to get that cactus to drop its spines through the power of love. And that's pretty amazing to be able to develop a spineless cactus. I mean, let's think about that. You go up to the person on the street and said, what's the first thing you think of when you think of a cactus? Spines, right? I mean, that's the way God created it. <laughs> and so here is this man, through love, he was able to get the cactus to drop his defenses. And we think that we can't Overcome our sugar cravings, <laughs> right? You know, we, we go back, we, you know, we see that candy bar, and we're not supposed to. We've put out willpower not to do it. But maybe we need to change our approach. Maybe we need to take more of a Luther Burbank technique, right? As we pass that candy bar, you know, and say to it, I love you. You don't have to tempt me with that sweetness anymore. <laughs> it sounds funny, but love is above the law. Laws above the law of our karma. Master once said, I'm sick and tired of everyone talking about karma. Love God. He'll take away all of our karma. 
There's a reason that Master wrote a whole chapter in the autobiography of a yogi called Outwitting the Stars, isn't it? That we are not bound by our karma. That's the whole promise of the scriptures in its highest essence. That the thorns in our sides of loneliness and depression and habits that just keep nagging at us can be changed with the power of love. Swamiji said that in the reading that divine love is the inner experience of oneness with God and kindness is that outer expression in humanity. I would like to tell you a story of my uncle, my uncle Dan. This is my mother's uncle who, uh, my mother had nine brothers and sisters. And Uncle Dan was uh, someone whose, whose whole life was dedicated to serving others, especially his family. My grandfather died at a young age when my parent, my mom was 16 years old, and Uncle Dan had to take care of the family. And so all of his life was just having all these jobs, just, and he said, I never kept any money for myself. It all went to help my brothers and sisters. He actually, even one time, for those football fans out there, he actually worked for the Pittsburgh Steelers, the football team. For seven years, he was the person in charge of cleaning their uniforms and, and painting the lines on the football field. Um, my mom told me the other day that one time, the, uh, the machines at the stadium broke, and they had to bring all the Steelers uniforms to the house, and mom and grandma were <laughs> doing all the uniforms and stringing them up outside the house, and all the children from the yard came by to the area came by to see these professional football uniforms. But my Uncle Dan, he, he, had, he worked all his life, all these different jobs to just help the family. And then as family members got ill, he would just take care of them, one after the other. And when I was in high school, he would have me come over to his home. This is in Pittsburgh. And he would have me come and do some things for him. And I would just walk in the house, and by the time that School was out, which was around 3 o'clock. Um, the rosary was playing on the Catholic news channel. So I would go in, and he would be praying the rosary with Grandma and my other uncle. And he would kind of acknowledge me, but he would just be kind of pacing and just saying the rosary. And he said it was so much concentration and devotion. He was, he was taking it very seriously. And he would be just kind of pacing, and I would just kind of wait for him. And he would get to a point where he had this beautiful uh, statue of uh, Mother Mary. And he would, get, he would stand before her and he would just bow to her. And then he would just continue on. And then the rosary would be finished and he would just, with so much love and joy, just say, hey mom, my grandma had Alzheimer's and she would just kind of be slouched over. Hey mom, Greg's here. And he would just say, Greg, isn't she so beautiful? Look at how, and she just, so much kindness was given out of him. And this was this, his whole life, but what was very miraculous was what happened after he died. Um, a few months after he died, my mom received uh, a letter from uh, the hospital, and she said that your uncle was an organ donor, and five of his organs saved people's lives. And his service was continuing even after his death. And that's love that goes not just for us, but it's, we're trying to touch others with that type of divine love. I wanted to read something 
from um, Narayani's book. Narayani was Swamiji's assistant, part of his team in the last years of his life. And this is a story that she encountered with Swamiji when she was in India. After one of our long flights to India, Swamiji's body was unusually sore. Thinking a massage would help, we arranged for Pawan, a young mature, to come to the house. We didn't have a massage table, and Pawan didn't bring one. So I covered Swamiji's bed with towels to keep the oil from staining the sheets. I came back an hour later when Pawan was just finishing. That was very good, Swamiji said. Can you come back next week? Pawan smiled and nodded his head in the typical Indian way. Next time, though, could you bring a massage table? It would be more comfortable than the bed. Sir, I don't have a massage table, Pawan said. I can't afford to buy one. I work at a spa and give extra massages in my spare time. My wife is pregnant, and with the baby coming, we need the extra money. In that case, Swamiji said, I'd like to buy you a massage table. How much does it cost? Pawan was stunned, but managed to respond, A thousand rupees, sir, I think, but I'm not sure. Find out, let me know, and I'll pay for it, he said. It wasn't unusual for Swami to be this generous, but I sensed something more was going on here. After Pavan left, I, I told Swamiji, Your generosity is such an inspiration to me. He answered, Generosity is one person giving to another. That's not how I see it. Everyone is a part of me, an extension of myself. The following week, when Pawan returned, the first thing Swamiji asked was, have you found out how much massage table cost? Shyly, Pawan said, yes, sir, but it is much more expensive than I thought. He named the figure that to him was a fortune. Well, that is more than I expected, Swamiji said, but I told you I'd buy it for you, and I will. He opened his wallet, counted out the rupees, and gave him the money. And he said, I hope this will support your family better. Pawan accepted the money with a look of total disbelief on his face. No doubt he thought that when Swami heard that actual price, he would change his mind. After the massage, Pawan was in the bathroom washing his hands. I whispered to Swamiji, I don't think Pawan will want you to pay for this massage. You have already given him so much. Of course I'll pay it, pay it, Swami said. He has done a good job and he must be compensated. As I expected, Pawan didn't want to be paid, but Swami kept insisting. He bowed his head and he pronomed to Swami. I accompanied Pawan to the door. He seemed unusually thoughtful. Are you okay? I asked him. Hesitantly, he replied. I was raised in an orphanage. I didn't even know who my parents were. Growing up, I had one burning desire to feel the love of a father. Until today, I had never experienced it. What Swamiji did for me, nobody else has ever done. He has fulfilled something very deep in my heart. My eyes filled with tears as I said goodbye to him. My best wishes to your wife, the baby, and for you as a new father. I rushed back upstairs to Swamiji's room to tell him what Pawan had told me. Swamiji, too, was moved to tears. Quietly, he said, I'm so happy for him. I have often wondered in episodes like this, one with Pawan, and this is something I thought was important. Was Swami simply being used by God, or was he consciously aware of the reasons behind what he did? 
Only one time did I ask him. Swamiji gave advice to a man he had just met with, which turned out to be exactly what the man needed to hear. How did you know? I asked Swami. Swami, I didn't. I just felt from within to say it. Swamiji said simply. Love is a magician. That it's when we, with the love of God, we are there to help people as extensions of our own self. As he says in that song, Swami Cha, that song, Love is a Magician, only love can heal all the pain that we feel. We don't know the mechanisms of how love works, but the more we tune into that love of God, that grace can come into our lives, and we might not even know what's happening. Meister Eckhart, the Christian theologian, said, I move my hand and Christ moves. Who is my hand? But that's why it's so important that we completely offer ourselves constantly unto a higher purpose in God and the divine because then that's how things will happen. You know, our rational minds want to keep saying, how do, do I do this? Do I do that? Which way should I turn in my life? What's, what's my next step? But, you know, it's when we attune to God's love and that grace, God will help us with our next step. And so, Paramahansa Yogananda came at a time, just as Jesus came at a time, when there was still, started to be more of a yearning for how to love God more completely in our lives. There was a, a man, um, I, I went to school in North Carolina, in the Bible Belt, and there was a man who was a Southern Baptist, um, he was a Southern Baptist practitioner, and he said, I was told to love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all thy strength. But I wasn't told how to do it. And he said, it wasn't until I learned meditation that I learned how to do it. And Yogananda in these line of masters brought scientific techniques of meditation and a new concept of God. The God of Moses was maybe more of a judgmental God. The God of Jesus was the Father, still loving but still a little distant. And Yogananda came to bring us uh, a way of being with God, of that of the Divine Mother. The Divine Mother gives, Mother gives us birth. As Yogananda said, even, even the wicked children are still loved by the Mother. But that closeness, Yogananda said, God is the nearest of the near, the dearest of the dear and closer to us than our very own thoughts. And so the techniques of self-realization are surefire. They are condensed grace. And they will help us to focus that love, those different ways, what do we do in our life? It helps to focus that and to uplift it so we can be more attuned dynamically to that grace in our lives. And that's what Master came to bring. And the more we do that, the more we will feel life abundantly and that divine romance, speaking of the weekend of Valentine's Day, that divine romance will enter our hearts and we'll realize that nothing can touch that love of God. It will fulfill everything that we've always desired in our life. If you could please close your eyes, I just want to end with these words from Yogananda. Drink the nectar of God love in all hearts. Use every heart as your own wine cup to drink the ambrosia of God love.
Do not drink divine love from only one heart, but drink from all hearts the love of God alone. Give God a chance to tempt you with his love. Then nothing else can ever tempt and overcome you. Om. Peace. Amen. for that wonderful talk and we're going to change our song we're going to do what is love <laughs> what is love is it only us or does love Surely we children of this world could not love by our own powers. What is joy? Is it just a dream? Or does joy The clouds mindless after all, or is joy all nature's theme? God is dead, so men say. Can they see all life's display? Church minds aim at its own, not a creed makes him fully known. Foolish we, if we limit him, every What is love? What is love?